or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And this week, we've got lots of material to discuss. The FTC has finally weighed in on fake reviews, and they levied a big fine against a merchant that was using fake reviews on their Amazon ads. Interesting. Uh, A teen who taught himself how to hack has won over a million dollars by registering his hacks through Hacker One and getting paid for bug bounties. I'll talk about how he did it. He's like he's like the number one guy in terms of bug bounties on Hacker One. NATO put together some fake websites and they tricked soldiers to revealing secret information about NATO maneuvers. They wanted to demonstrate how easy it was to, you know, exploit social media to get information. And this is the week that the periodic table had a birthday. It's now 150 years old, Jim. I know this is a big event for you. Uh, Actually, I've seen some very interesting postings about the periodic table and people using them to spell things. Yeah. It's interesting. So it's it's 150 years. The original listing of elements was done 150 years ago. We'll talk a bit about that. And Canada has finally decided to extradite the CFO of Hawaii uh, to the U.S., for charges of violating the uh, the embargo against Iran. That's going to be an interesting evolution of events as the U.S. and China are basically fighting over intellectual property rights and to what extent that Chinese companies have access to U.S. markets. Uh, this week we're going to feature the man who is the number one editor on the English Wikipedia He's edited more. He's he's done edits to more than three million articles. That's a, a kind of a little frightening, actually. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's a major. He was listed as one of the top twenty-five most influential people by Time Magazine because of all of his edits. Interesting. It's quite quite a story. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Well, it's good to see his past keyword work today. Yes, yep. it is. Mm-hmm. We got an email from Tom Shum. Uh, Dear Tech Talk. I don't print often, but I was bothered by dry-out inkjets for a long time. Now I bought the Canon Selfie Printer. It runs by dye sublimation and thermal transfer, so there's no ink. It means that there's no inkjets to dry out. It's the Selfie CPI 300. It's $99. Prints on 4x6 paper. A pack of ribbon costs and um, and 108 sheets of paper costs 30 bucks. Therefore, it's about 30 cents a print. So it's expensive. But the beauty is you can just leave it in the box and print one print. The ink never dries. And, of course, Tom is uh, responding to the article that uh, I discussed last week over 
comparing inkjet printers to services. And if you get a, if you get a an inkjet printer, uh, it costs about twelve cents a print. But the problem is, you know, inkjet ink dries out. So if you don't actually use it a lot, you'll eventually th- you won't get the full capacity out of the ink cartridge. And I never do actually. Mm-hmm. So I don't use an inkjet to print my prints. And I have to tell Tom is pretty smart because I have that same printer. Down there at Northern Neck, because what, what we do, we'll, we'll have guests come down, and we we like to take pictures when they're down there. And and there's nothing worse. Everybody has pictures, but nobody has a print of anything right. anymore. Mm-hmm. So now somebody's down there, weekends, there's a picture they like, we can just print it up and give it to them. That's and then we've, cool. And we got a book that we can put them in. And so the beauty of that, I mean, so we don't print high volume, but when we print, we don't want to have the ink drying out. out so this so it's a great it's a great option then. it's a great option for 30 cents and you've got the print right there it's worth it now if you're going to print like a lot of prints you, you send it to a service and you get it done for about you know seven or eight cents a print you don't have to you don't have to pay 30 cents a print but the, the advantage of this you have it right there and this dye sublimation it basically is a three pieces of um, a plastic that sort of Pull over the print, and you like got blue, yellow, blue, yellow. Actually, there it there does four passes, and there are four different colors. And um, boom, you've got it. Uh, you, you've got it done, and um, and it never dries out. So very good. That's uh, great. comment, Tom. That was, and I should actually bucks. I should have mentioned that last week, and I forgot about it. Well, I can understand why you might forget something uh, last week. Exactly. Ninety nine dollars. That's a good price. Yeah, that's right. We got an email from Rich in Madison. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm having trouble getting sound from my Xbox game console. I recently recently purchased a new flat screen TV. The Xbox has been connected to a very, very old flat screen that I bought in 2002. Hmm. That's an old one. I connected it to the HDMI port on my new TV. Now, the picture's fine. I just don't have any sound. And I can't find how to get sound. Enjoy the show. Rich in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, Rich, let me walk through this a little bit. Your 2002 TV did not have an HDMI port. HDMI stands for High Definition Media Interface. The HDMI standard was just released in 2002, and there was not large-scale adoption for, you know, for a few years. So a 2002 TV would not have an HDMI port. Now, what they had, the latest interface they had in 2002, was what they called DVI, a digital video interface, a DVI. And the DVI plug... Only supported video. It did not support audio. So they had an audio standard. They had basically um, audio fiber, fiber optic that carried audio, and that was used for the standard. And so you would, you know, if you want to connect your TV back in the day, you'd have the DVI port, and then you'd have the audio fiber optic that you'd plug into the TV, and the fiber optic could carry the audio, the DVI would carry the video. And the Xbox supports that old standard. So you can go to the Xbox and you can go in and configure it to support DVI, and then it will send all the sound to the audio fiber. Uh, if you, but you have to, if you want it to support HDMI, you've got to go back and say, I'm going to have an HDMI output, and that, and if you use the HDMI output, it will send the sound as well as the video through the HDMI. Now, I'm thinking that your Xbox is still configured for DVI and audio um, fiber. So you're going to have to go in and you're going to have to configure it to have HDMI for the output. 
So what you want to do, you go into settings, and then you you go to select system and then settings, and then under settings, you'll see something called display and sound. Then you select video output, and under video output, you'll have a choice. You could have DVI, HDMI. You pick the HDMI. As soon as you pick HDMI, you'll then have other choices for audio. Then you select the audio output, and you you could and now you will have the ability to have HDMI as your audio output. You'll also could have if you want uh, you could have the optical fiber, but I wouldn't do that. So you just turn <laughs> the optical fiber off and then turn HDMI audio on in the uh, audio output, and you're set. Now the you can, you don't have that option in the audio output until you change the video from DVI to HDMI. And once you do that. You should have everything you want. Now, under the audio, you're going to have a choice of, like, stereo, Dolby 5.1, Dolby 7.1. So it depends on your set and your audio system which one you choose there. But at least you will get audio through the HDMI, and um, you're all set. That was a good question, and mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people have that when we're dealing with all this old, uh, old technology. We got an email from Harry in Fairfax. Hi, Dr. Shirts. I got my first Roku player, the Roku LT, about six or seven years ago. That was one of the first versions that they came out with. It had composite cables that fit nicely into my old tube TV. Hey, we got a TV here that is even older than 2002. <laughs> this is going to be the uh, sort of the vintage equipment show today, I think. And it's been working well ever since. Now, after I bought it, I noticed that uh, every few months a new ver version of the Roku player would come out. I didn't really bother to pay much attention as my original seemed to work fine. But I did get a Roku HDMI streaming stick for my flat screen TV a few years ago. And recently I noticed that my Roku LT does not support the the, some of the apps. Like it doesn't support Hulu Live like the streaming stick does. Now I will have to upgrade my Roku LT if I want to have those apps on my Tube TV. But 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 I'll, I'm going to keep my Tube TV because I love the quality of the picture and I love the sound and it's better than the flat screen models. He likes the, the the quality of a Tube TV picture. I don't. He's used to it. <laughs> you know, you know, you're used to it. it. I mean, it, it could be a fantastic tube te television. You know, some of them are, were quite good, but he's but, but he's comfortable. Nothing... He's comfortable with it. Do you remember the first time you saw something on a flat screen that was HD? Didn't it blow your mind? Yeah, it it did. It did. So yeah, once once you go to HD, you, or or you go to you go to 4K, you'll see a big difference. Oh yeah. Now, if you only do over-the-air uh, streaming, you're, you're only going to do 720p, which is not that super high resolution. But if you want to go to 4K, there will be definitely a difference between a tube and a flat screen mm -hmm. for sure. Now my question is, you got to the question, uh, with so many new Roku models, how often am I going to have to keep upgrading one? Is it going to be just like the Apple product? You've got you to buy something new every year or two? I don't like this upgrade stream. Um, Harry in Fairfax well, Harry, most of the changes in streaming sticks have been streaming sticks have been caused by, um, you know, changes in standards. A, increased streaming speed. We've gone from uh, 720p. We're going to 1080, and then we went to 4K. Uh, each one of those higher streaming rates requires upgraded hardware. 
We also have more sophisticated applications that are that just bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, what happens is both the streaming speed and the sophisticated applications require more RAM. Because if you're streaming at a fire, higher speed, you need to have more RAM for buffering. So they'll reserve some of your RAM for buffering in order to handle that high streaming rate, in order to handle variations in, in, in streaming rate as you're, as you're streaming in that, that, that high bandwidth movie. And, of course, more sophisticated applications require more, um, more RAM to, to store them. So both of these things have pushed it so that they, you know, they have to upgrade the hardware with each of these progressive upgrades. Also, HDMI standards are there. They're going to, to faster and faster HDMI interfaces. Those standards change. So they're responding to that. Now, you had one of the very first ones, and of course, that probably had minimum RAM, and it was probably minimum streaming speed. And I could see where after seven years that would have to be replaced. So I'd say if you get one of the latest sticks, you're not going to have to do much, much uh, to you know improve that for quite some time because I think the standards have really changed, are really slowing down a bit. And I think the current versions of HDMI, the current applications, are going to be pretty steady. So I don't think you'll have to get another one that fast. I mean, but I'm thinking every seven years is not too bad of a of a of a time frame for replacement, you know, since most tech ends up being obsolete after three years or so. So you manage to get seven years out of it. It's not too bad. And by the way, Roku is a great product. Now the one problem you'll have when you get the new streaming stick is only going to support HDMI. And I suspect your television doesn't not support HDMI, mm -hmm. so you'll have a problem plugging that in. So you'll have to have an HDMI to uh, composite video converter or something. So I think at some point, I think you may end up getting another TV because the cost of TVs is just dropping like a rock. They're getting cheaper yep. and cheaper as we yep. go, as we progress, and they get they get better and better technology for this uh, these LCD screens. Uh, by the way, I was looking at TVs. The, you know, the uh, organic LEDs. They are just beautiful, but they're super expensive. Mm -hmm. So if you get like a just wait a while, right? Yeah, you wait a while. Like so, you get a 65-inch organic LED. They might want to charge $2,500. You could get a 65-inch LED um, display. It's actually a liquid crystal display with an LED backlit, um, backlit screen, and you could get that for probably $800. So uh, this is the sweet spot now is to get the um, the LED um, the LED uh, or the liquid crystal displays with the LED backlight. That's really the technology now to get. And I would say you wait a few years, and the organic LED is going to come down in price the same way once they get economy of scale. So I'm thinking if you're going to replace your tube, maybe you could wait a few more years and get the organic LED, and then it will be absolutely beautiful. Doc and Jim, I'm installing my new TV in the family room and are considering wireless HDMI for the connection. That way I can get rid of all the cables. What are your thoughts on this, Doug, in Richmond? Well, Doug, I, I can see why you want to do that because a lot of people have a cable box. They, they put the TV above the um, fireplace. Right. And yes. then and you got the cable box on the table and you got to drag that cable all the way up to the to the TV Unsightly there and it just looks cables. it just looks really ugly. And so he's saying, well, could I could I have a wireless connection for HDMI? Well, that wireless HDMI technology has been around for a while. It's been around for over a decade, but it hasn't gained much popularity. And there, there, there are some reasons for that. And there are a lot of wireless HDMI products on the market. 
and they're relatively easy to set up. You, you actually have a, you plug a transmitter into the HDMI port of your video source, which would be, say, your cable box. And then you plug a receiver into the HDMI port of your TV, and then you pair them. And that's all there is to it. It's sort of like Bluetooth for video. It, it doesn't use Wi-Fi connection. It's a direct connection that most of them operate in the 5 gigahertz microwave frequency. And... Um, and they work pretty well, except they've got to be line of sight. If you've got if you got uh, if you've got obstructions in the way, it slows things down. Now, one of the problems with them, there is a latency problem. If you're if you're trying to stream at a uh, you know a longer distance, you you might have a latency of a few milliseconds. Um, if you if you're just going to stream at a short distance, you, the latency may not be noticeable. It is noticeable for gamers. So this wireless HDMI really doesn't work for gamers. The other thing is they never created any wireless HDMI standard, so none of these devices are interoperable hmm. at all. The, 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 the industry never got together, and I think that's one reason why it never took off. And they're also expensive. So if you get one, if you get a, a transmitter and receiver for one TV, it's $200. Now, in the beginning, people said, well, I could have one cable box and I could stream HDMI video to three TVs. But then you'd need a receiver at each TV. That would be $100 per Per, uh, per per TV, so you're, you're not spending, say, five hundred dollars to stream out to um, three TVs, and and it was it was just getting pretty expensive. And of course, then all three TVs would have to be on the same channel because you got one cable box, which really isn't that good. And also, HD wireless HDMI does not support 4K. It's 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 a much lower bandwidth, and so you've got the latency issue, and then you've got the bandwidth issue. It doesn't really support 4K. What actually happened here um, and why that never took off, Doug, is that they never embraced Wi-Fi. Look, I, I'm basically streaming video to all my TVs over uh, Wi-Fi. I've got over-the-air television that's coming to my Tableau box. I stream over-the-air television over my Wi-Fi network to all the TVs. So I don't even need to have HDMI. Basically, this wireless HDMI was supplanted by Wi-Fi. And if they would have been smart, they would have actually used the Wi-Fi standards. Where you be, and, and, and the cost would have been much cheaper because hmm. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi radios are just, are just a lot cheaper. I could see where the cable box would build in a Wi-Fi-enabled HDMI connection. I could see where you'd have a Wi-Fi-enabled HDMI connection built into the TV, and you could have it just, just operated very easily. The industry never got together with this. And so the fact they never had a standard, the fact that it's still expensive, the fact that they didn't embrace Wi-Fi, I think is why it probably is not going to go anywhere. So in your case, and I have a similar problem at home where I've got a TV above a fireplace, I decided to forget the whole wireless HDMI, and now I'm just using streaming sticks. I've got Apple TV. I stream everything through Apple TV. Uh, I've got the Netflix. I've got everything that I need. I've got all the over-the-air channels, which are all streaming, and I threw away the cable box. Hey, and I, I cut the cord. I, I've got a question about this. Yeah. About, you're talking about the Wi-Fi radio. Are, were there different generations of the Wi-Fi radio and devices? That one might work more slowly or quickly than oh, the other. Oh yeah, they've they, they've been through multiple versions. That would explain something. Okay, so I, I, at work <laughs> I listen to stuff on my old iPhones. I have a four, a five, and I guess the current phone is a six. Uh -huh. And if I decided to listen to the same source on different phones, mm -hmm. but hooked up to and they're hooked up to to, to Bluetooth uh, to speakers, 
one might be a fraction of a second off from the other. And that would explain why, right? If one of those Wi-Fi radios is older than the other yeah, and it's a different a, gen. And there's a, there's a slight latency with, yeah. with all the Wi-Fi connections. It, uh, that, wow. There is, and you learn something. And they are, they, they are different generations. So Wi-Fi has evolved, starting out to be a fairly slow um, slow standard, and now they, they kept they kept getting more and more sophisticated signal processing. That would wow, and they and it get faster and faster and faster. And so really, you and the other thing is on Wi-Fi, if you if you mix old devices and new devices, it turns the entire network down to the slowest speed. So and so you you really want to have the latest Wi-Fi radio, the Wi-Fi technology. So okay, so if you're using multiple Wi-Fi devices on the same network, it drags the total speed down. Yeah, and so because it and so if if you got the, your slowest device on there is going to set the speed for the whole Wi-Fi network. No kidding. Because all the all of the devices have to coordinate their time on the network. It's sort of time shared kind of deal. And so they all have to coordinate together. And so the whole network slows down to the slowest device. Okay, so let's take this to another level. level. Mm -hmm. Say you're at Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. And and everybody's hooked into the Wi-Fi and somebody's got a crap phone. Yep. And they're dragging everybody else they down. Are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Exactly. And so and so if you if you're if you're sitting there with really one of the latest, you know, so what you want to do is upgrade, you know, Upgrade all your Wi-Fi, all your Wi-Fi connections, so that they're one of the latest standards. Because Wi-Fi is a great they that industry group really nailed it. Yep. They yep. they they agreed. I mean, they had a lot of fights because everybody wanted to have their proprietary technology. They had a lot of fights. They negotiated it, but they they nailed it. And so that's the 802.11 standards group mm -hmm. out of IEEE. 80, the 802, all the 802 standards groups, they got that name because the first meeting they had was February of 1980. So that's 82, 802. Yep. And then the 11th subcommittee formed by that standards group was Wi-Fi. So that's the 802.11 standards. This is knowledge you've imparted in a previous version of Tech Talk. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. have certainly done that. this is the kind of minutia that gets us both excited. Uh, exactly. And, and we'll get you thrown out of a cocktail party in a snap. It may not get you thrown out, but it'll probably clear the room. <laughs> it would clear the room. You know, I've noticed that too, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 have no, I have noticed that. <laughs> One time, I went to I went to a party, and I started talking. I don't know. I, I I got on this string theory discussion. Yeah, string theory will do it. And I'm telling you, I cleared the room. I, I cleared them. So, like, if you know, like, like if if you if you're at a party and people are drinking too much booze, just have me sit by the bar and talk about string theory. Boom! And th the consumption way, will drop in a snap. Tab stops. Exactly. If you're really concerned about how much people are spending on your tab, <laughs> Doctor Scherz right. will come and talk string theory. Or, I don't know. Space elevators actually space, kind of space uh, elevators. Space elevators interesting. So people That's might right. stick around for that. That's right. And they like say, well, I'll, I'll come back when you have the PowerPoint presentation. But I think I'm going to go to the next room here for a while. <laughs> We got an email from Dave in Chantilly. Uh, Dear Tech Talk, I've got a Ring doorbell and I'm worried about security. I recently heard that Ring has a vulnerability that would allow someone to inject their own video into my device. Is that true? What should I do? That's Dave in Chantilly. So it turned out there is a security flaw in the Ring doorbells and cameras, and, it's, and it leaves them vulnerable to spying. Now, there were security researchers at the Internet from the Internet of Things security firm Dojo by Bullguard. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of their company, Dojo by Bullguard. 
And they hacked an Amazon Ring video doorbell in real time at the um, at a recent conference. Now, the exploit allowed them to take advantage of a security vulnerability that would leave the audio and vis- video transmissions exposed to third-party attackers. Now, this is the thing. It's not that dangerous in a way, but they made a big deal out of it. The hacker must first gain access to your Wi-Fi network. That means they either got to guess the password, they got to crack the encryption, which is easily done with for WEP, or they've got to exploit another smart home device that's connected to the same network. Once they're connected to the network... It turns out that the video, which is on the Wi-Fi network, is not encrypted. So they can see that audio and they can see the video. But more importantly, what they were able to do, they were able to inject, they were able to take a, a, port, a video from a previous day when, say, the babysitter was coming, and you unlock the door for them, and they could then inject that video in today to trick you to open up the door. So it... I mean, it is a certain vulnerability. Yeah. Now, here's the good news. Um, Ring, which, of course, is, is owned by Amazon, they're aware of this problem of the unencrypted data stream on the Wi-Fi network. They have issued a security update. So all you have to do now is install the security update to your Ring device and boom. You're safe. Ring's incredible. I mean, you talked about Ring before that this was a failure on Shark Tank, wasn't it? Yeah. And you you turn on the news every day. Every day you see a crime that was solved by somebody's solved ring. Solved by ring because ring now there are belt. so many ring devices in neighborhoods that, yep. you know, guys are getting picked up all the time. And don't they have – and don't, don't they now have like a neighborhood feature so that people can, can share? Yeah. Some, some clown just broke into my house and everybody else can that's, – it's, it's, so, so the only problem with ring is that if you set the threshold too low, every time a cat walks across your front door, you the, the alarm goes yes. off. So you want to adjust the threshold so you're not picking up cats and dogs and maybe just picking up people. Squirrel. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, or a squirrel comes in there. A and leaf also, falls off the tree. It ruins everything. Mm-hmm. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every week on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, and 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the program from our brand-new studios in Friendship Heights, Maryland, by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at... WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Batting a thousand so far. Yes, today we're going to feature Stephen Pruitt. Stephen Pruitt is best known as the Wikipedia editor who has made more edits on the English Wikipedia than any other editor. He's edited more than three million articles. You can hmm. imagine that. Stephen was born April 17, 1984, in San Antonio, Texas. His family moved to Monterey, California for several years, and they finally settled in Northern Virginia in 1989. Now, his mother was born in Russia. She immigrated to the U.S. in 1979 when Leonard Brezhnev allowed Russian Jews to leave the country in order to reunite with relatives. Her childhood experiences inspired Stephen to create information that would be available to the masses— because there was not that information available in Russia at the time. In 2002, Pruitt graduated from St. Stephen's and St. Agnes School in Alexandria. In 2006, he received a Bachelor of Arts in Art History from the College of William and Mary. That's a useful degree. That's right. He's, well, it's, it is if you're a Wikipedia editor. True. It's a perfect one. Now, what Steve, does a Wikipedia editor, editor make? Nothing. There you go. My point. <laughs> Now, Stephen loved to read classic literature as well as Murder Mysteries by Agatha Christie. Now, he began dabbling in Wikipedia when he discovered the online encyclopedia while he was attending William & Mary. He created his first account in 2006 while he was a senior. So that was 13 years ago about. You know, he's been on doing it for 13 years. He wrote his first article about Peter Francisco. He was a Portuguese-born Revolutionary War hero who was Pruitt's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather <laughs> on his father's side. That would be six greats. Okay. He's great, great to the sixth power. If you're playing uh, the pop quiz later, I think I'd keep that in mind. <laughs> well, there could be other pop quiz there could items be other, here. Yes, there could. Now, Pruitt puts in two hours every weekday evening— and more time on the weekend, editing Wikipedia. Now, he's an avid fan of the opera, which inspired his username, Sir Armancio Di Nicolo. Nicolo. Sir Armancio Di Nicolo. If you're playing the game later, that's probably not <laughs> going to be the answer. He's a minor character in the Puccini opera Gianni Skiki. Let's see. I'm going to let you swing on this one. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Skicky. Sicci or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Skicky. No, it's, it's, it's a hard C. Skicky. 
It's Gianni Skicky. We're, okay. we're going to do that. I, I looked that up. That's that's a, that. Ch is a hard. All right. I, hard I think this is a, uh, you, a you, job you for should, Google you should, Translate. You should check that. Now, here's the thing. From September to June, he sings first tenor with the Capitol Hills Choral. So he's chorale. So he's um, you know he's really likes music. Now Pruitt works in the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency in D.C. as part of the Records and Information Governance Team. He's really into record keeping and working on computers. He helps transfer records from his department to the National Archives. Pruitt believes now. The, now it did produce money, produce something for him. He believes that his volunteer work on Wikipedia helped him get this job with customs mm -hmm. because he could show that he could manage data accurately and in attention to detail. So his work did help him get his job there at, uh, at customs. All right, let's see if it, how we pronounce his name. Okay. Gianni Skiki. There Skiki. you go. You're right. I was, I was... Gianni Skiki. Skiki. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been proven correct. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny name for. That's a um, great. That's a great. Uh, that's a great voice. He, maybe he could fill in for us when we're not yeah, here. Let's, let's, yeah, let's. Yeah, let's. Johnny play. Skiki. I I don't think he could, he could could he could he compete for Mr. Big Voices. Uh, he might. Johnny Shaky. No, that's. Ah, uh, see that. Okay, so this is the this is the Italian version. Johnny yeah. Skiki. And we translated to American. Yeah. Not only did we change the pronunciation, <laughs> but we changed gender. Johnny Shaky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's the uh, that that's actually I'm, I'm gonna have to look this uh, I'm gonna have to look this uh, Puccini opera up because I don't I don't really remember it that didn't come off the top well, of my head. Well, you know. okay, I think we're gonna have to do that. Yeah, too. That's right. All now, right. in 2017, with over three million edits and more than 35,000 articles created, and it takes time to create 35,000 articles created, he was named as one of the 25 most important influencers on the Internet by Time Magazine. And and along in that list were people like J.K. Rowling's, you know, you know, Donald Trump, and Kim Kardashian. So he was with a lot of, of movers and shakers there. Because of all of his editing. It's amazing. In February of 2019, Pruitt had made over 3 million edits to Wikipedia, more than any other editor on the English Wikipedia. In addition to writing and editing, Pruitt also leads training sessions to help other people learn how to edit. He's interested in getting more women involved on the Internet. He wanted to change the gender bias on Wikipedia, and he contributes to the project Women in Red. Project. Now, these his Wikipedia edits have included creation of articles about more than 600 women. So he's really trying to push the number of articles about women, the percentage of, and, I, and it went up a few percentage points because of his contributions. Now, this people say, why do you do it? And so th this is a quote directly from Steve Pruitt. He believes that he is helping to define who belongs in the greater canon of knowledge. So he views the Wikipedia as the canon of knowledge. And with others, he is redesigning that canon. That is what motivates him to do the Wikipedia edits day in and day out. After being featured on CBS This Morning, January of 2019, he decided, you know, to expand and set up, a, go on to Reddit with a subreddit titled, Ask Me Anything. So he's now, you know, jogging with, you know, blogging with people on, on his uh, subreddit, Ask Me Anything. Now, Steve Pruitt still lives with his parents in the home he grew up in. 
doing Wikipedia editing in, in, his, be, in his bedroom. So, uh, you know, he's still just hanging in there doing his work. He has a user page. I looked him up. You know, so his user page is Wikipedia user page. So you can do you can look up the you, you can look up Ser or Mazio di Nicolau and um, and you can go to his user page and it shows all the stuff that he's edited. He talks about why he's doing it's really quite an interesting page. By the way, he he doesn't ever give his name. I, you go to his user page, you, you can't tell what his real name is. He goes mm. by this pseudonym and uh, but he tells why he did it, the kind of articles he's going after. Was really quite interesting to read that user page. I do a lot of Wikipedia editing. Wikipedia editing. I have now learned too much information about you. <laughs> and uh, but then I have a pseudonym on the Wikipedia, so I don't want anybody to know who I am. But I, but I and I enjoy going on Wikipedia, and I and there are a few pages that I I like to go in and sort of keep track on them. I mm -hmm. once I once did an because there's always this rub about Wikipedia. Hey, it's a, you know it's bad information. Anybody can put it up there. So I ran an experiment. I created a, uh, an, a, you know, an account that I created a new account, and then I went in, and I intentionally put false information on pages, uh, you know, just stuff that was clearly false, and I was amazed that false information was corrected within five minutes. I mean, there are people that monitor these wow. pages. It was like so when people say this isn't checked. You know, it's not error checked. I mean, I I had five instances where I and I I kept track of it because if 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 they didn't fix it, I would go back and reverse it. So, but within five minutes, this false information was fixed. Do you think? I mean, that was the original knock on Wikipedia, wasn't it? <clears throat> that anybody could go in and edit things, and that you really couldn't trust what you were reading. Do you think that this, the fact that there's so many people in this this community now, has that fixed the problem? Cr crowdsourcing really does, um, you know, lead to accuracy. See, the trouble is, you got something edited like. Encyclopedia Britannica, you got one editor and one writer. They could have built-in biases. Mm -hmm. They write what they sure. want, and they say, hey, what, you know, the our, what we write is the truth. And then you don't have the crowdsourcing element. So the crowdsourcing does lead to accuracy. Now, where Wikipedia is weak was, is when you get into uh, uh, arguments, uh, ideological arguments, where, mm -hmm. where, you know, okay, suppose you might have an article on – say something highly controversial like abortion, uh, you'll have two dis opposite camps that will just delete each other's email and they go back and forth. And so you it doesn't work well when you have that kind of, of um, you know, enthusiastic debate between two different camps. So what Wikipedia does, they end up freezing the page and then the, the, the warring parties then have to go through an editor to get their the items posted and what they try to do is just get them from deleting each other's inputs but rather have them have a dialogue where they explain why one particular post wasn't correct so there's a dialogue that ends up on the wikipedia page just not an ideal ideological argument and wikipedia is not so good at handling that mm -hmm. but they've gotten much better with this freezing of the page and having super editors that go in there and and, and do that thing. So I, I've gotten a lot of respect for w Wikipedia over the years, and it's getting to be uh, a, quite a force to be reckoned with on the Internet. Listen, we Excellent. love your email. Wait, wait, before you go, oh, yeah. hmm. Gianni Schicchi is oh, yeah. a uh, comic opera in one act by Puccini set to an Italian libretto by Forzano composed in 1917 and 18. It is based on an incident mentioned in Dante's Divine Comedy. It is the third and final part of Puccini's 
the triptych that I'm translating that into uh, English. <laughs> so it doesn't uh, it doesn't say exactly what it's about, but it features the famous and perhaps one of Puccini's best arias, O mio babino caro. <laughs> and let's listen to a selection of that as we go out to break. Okay. We've never used opera as bumper music here on Tech Talk, so it's a first this morning. Oh, yeah, listen. That's a familiar tune, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody knows that tune. There you go. All right. You were going to say you you, you liked uh, the uh, – you're taking us out. Oh yeah. yeah, and people were people need to think about what we were oh, just talking yeah, you about. Oh yeah, now remember we're gonna have a pop quiz here. It's always going to think about what we just saying, and when we come back, you'll have a chance to test your knowledge. Okay, it's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, fifteen hundred AM, one hundred three five FM HD two, one hundred three nine FM HD two. No, this is not Saturday at the Met. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank and you. Parking will be validated to the studio. Oh, audience. yeah, that's another feature that we've got today now. <laughs> that's right. We'll validate the parking for that street parking out there, you know, across from Starbucks. Which is free. <laughs> Yes, uh, this is not just a radio show, but it's also a classroom of the airways. And we're going to test to see whether you have been listening as worthy students. Earlier in the show, we talked about Stephen Pruitt, who's best known as Wikipedia editor, who made more edits on on the English Wikipedia than any other editor. Now, he goes by a 
pseudonym um, on the internet. Let's see where. Wait, let's see where did he go? He go from Ser Amazio di Nicolo. Nicolo. Ser Amazio di Nicolo. Where did this pseudonym come from? All right. If you know the answer to today's question, now's the time to pick up your device and contact us. We're pretty sure the phones are working, so give us a try. <laughs> if you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa Del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're frantically altering Wikipedia entries in Canada, <laughs> call us on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. And of course, if none of those work, give us a shot on the international line. 877-936-39333. Now once again, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, and if you're trying to reach us from backstage at the opera, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Hang on one second here. We've got one more thing to play, and that is this. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for price distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So... <laughs> That's more of a disclaimer than anything. Okay, Doc, continue on, shall Yes, you? the FTC has finally fined merchants for fake reviews. The FTC successfully challenged a merchant for the first time in a fake review case. They targeted cure encapsulations in a case that accused it of paying third party a third-party website to write and post fake Amazon reviews for its category Garcinia Cambogia which was a weight loss supplement. Oh boy. That actually apparently doesn't work at all and it, <laughs> and, it and it gives uh, and it provide and and you can get liver damage from it. That's not good. No, according to the FTC the company advertised and sold quality encapsulations uh, extract with HCA on amazon.com as an appetite suppressing, fat blocking and weight loss pill. The company paid a website called amazonverifiedreviews.com to write and post reviews, and it asked that website to make certain that the reviews would always ensure that the ratings on stars was between 4.3 and 5. Now, they settled the case with this week, and FTC imposed a fine of $12.8 million on the firm. And they said $50,000 has to be paid immediately. They said the balance of the fine will be suspended if they complete a specific number of conditions, like they have to contact all customers and explain to them that it was fake reviews. They have to never use the company, and they got to go through a lot. And if they do all of this disclaimer work, in fact, they won't have to pay the rest of the fund. But I'm glad FTC finally, finally got on the stick because I think fake reviews are a problem. Yes, they are. Hey, here okay. we go. All right, we're going to go to Lewis, who's checking in on line one. He's calling us from Rockville, Maryland. Good morning, Lewis. Can you hear us? Lewis, are you there? Wait a minute. Hey there, yes, Lewis. Yes, I am here. There Whoa, you are. The Whoa, phones the phones work. are five by five. Look That's at that. That's right. Wow, Lewis, welcome to our new studio on Friendship Heights. We're just down the street from you. Okay. Earlier right. in the show, Lewis, we talked about Lewis Prude, of course, is the best known as editor who's made more edits on the English Wikipedia, and he goes by the name Sir Amazio D. Nicolau. Where did he get that name from? from Lewis, from turn down the, your... Uh, Go ahead. Where did he get it? Lewis, one more try. Wikipedia. Turn, from Wikipedia. Well, no, but there was more specifically... You gave Andrew the right answer. Go ahead and give it to us. John Ricci. 
Okay, that's close enough. I heard Italian in there. That's right. That's sort of close. That's a that's a close enough for that's the name of enough. the opera. That's Very close enough good. for today in the new studio. And, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for listening, Lewis. Hang on a second. We're gonna put you back on hold and send you back to Andrew. Wow, it's Saturday morning and it's Tech Talk Radio. <laughs> And uh, we're in our brand new studios here in Friendship Heights. We're part of uh, the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 5, uh, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. You can watch us produce this mess by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be right back in just a moment. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. There's a program out there called Fake Spot, which is used to, to you know check for fake reviews. It's a free website that will analyze Amazon product reviews. I've actually used it. It works pretty good. You go to fakespot.com, F-A-K-E, SPOT.com, and you can simply do a copy and paste of the link right into the product page and then click Analyze, and it will tell you whether it's good or bad. And it got, it's got sort of an AI an analysis. They, rec they look at the kind of detail, the kind of words that are used, and it accurately predicts fake reviews about 90% of the time. That's what they said. Now, they also have a browser extension for Chrome, Firefox, and Safari, so you could just be at the review, then you can simply click the icon for for review analysis, and it will, in fact, uh, just on the spot tell you whether that whether that review is true or not. Now they also have apps that are available for Android as well as the iPhone, so you can you can check the, the, those reviews on your on your smartphone. Now the FakeSpot analyzes the reviews and the reviewers. It looks for questionable spelling, grammar, the number of reviews, the purchasing pattern mismatched dates, and other telltale signs of suspicious review activity. For example, a reviewer who's new to Amazon and posted only one review and uses words like great and amazing is almost certainly going to be marked as unreliable. So simply go to fakespot.com and check out those reviews. It's Saturday, it's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. We will be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. A teenager has become a millionaire what? through hacking. 19-year-old Santiago Lopez, Lopez from Argentina has become the first world, the first hacker in the world to make a million dollars by hacking legally. He goes by the handle at try to hack. That's his name. He started uh, reporting security weaknesses to companies through through the Hackers One bug bounty program in 2015. And he has since reported more than 1600 security flaws to organizations, you know, you know, organizations like Twitter or Verizon Media, as well as to private corporations and government entities. More than 1,200 organizations, you know, including the Department of Defense, General Motors, Google, Twitter, GitHub, Nintendo, Lufthansa, you know, Panasonic, to name a few, are members of HackerOne Bug Bounty Program. They've partnered together, and through HackerOne, uh, hackers have identified more than 100,000 vulnerabilities, and, and, the, and those hackers have been awarded more than $45 million in bug bounties. Lopez is the top-ranked hacker on the Hacker One's leaderboard. Actually, I have to say, I just looked at it this morning. He was the number top-ranked yesterday. This morning, he was uh, number two ranked. He wasn't. He was number on the leaderboard. He's done more than three hundred out of. He's like number two out of more than three hundred and thirty thousand hackers competing for that high spot. His specialty is finding insecure direct object reference vulnerabilities. Now, Lopez is self-taught. He was inspired by the 1990 film Hackers and learned to hack by watching free online tutorials and reading popular blogs. In 2015, when he was 16, Lopez joined Hackers One and earned his first bounty of $50 about a month later. In the past three years, Lopez has been hacking after school and now hacking full-time. He earns nearly 40 times more than, the, than what the average software engineer works it earns in Buenos Aires. Hackers One is now offering a tutorial course called Hacker 101. It's a free collection of videos and resources and hands-on activities that will teach everything you need to know to operate as a bug bounty hunter. And you can just go right to hackerone.com and and you can and if you go to the hacker section, you can, you can find that course right away and then you could start earning extra money yourself. NATO 
used fake Facebook accounts to trick soldiers. See, this was the question. They wondered, is is social media really safe for soldiers to have? Are they going to reveal, you know, strategic information? So the NATO Strategic Communications Center of Excellence conducted an experiment to try to trick service members in the, of the Air Force, of the Air Forces, of the Armed Forces. And they didn't say which country they were trying to trick because they didn't want to embarrass the country. So they, they, wanted, they wanted to know, could they gather information about planned NATO exercises, which, of course, would be classified? What information regarding individual service personnel could they acquire? And was it possible to influence people's actions and behaviors? So to set up this experiment, they set up fake accounts on Facebook, and they designed pages to attract attention and lure people in. And they set up a closed and secret Facebook groups. They made it look like this closed group was, say, all military people. So they attracted military people. They had a closed discussion group. And so people began to feel like they were just with family on this fake account. And soldiers preparing for NATO exercises would share details with each other uh, on this, uh, you know, in this private discussion group. And they demonstrated with this experiment how easy it was to trick soldiers to give lots of sensitive information online. So... They're going to rethink the use of social media uh, for the military because even though the, these soldiers had been trained how to do it, this website really did trick them. Mm -hmm. Kind of an interesting experiment. Yeah. The periodic table is 150 years I've been old. Waiting all hour for this. French chemist Antoine Laurent Lavoisier he published his first comprehensive list of chemical elements known today as the periodic table. Lavoisier and his wife Marie Anne pioneered the technique of measuring quantitatively what went into a reaction and analyzing it so they could list the chemicals. Lavoisier's list of elements published in 18, 1789, uh, that was five years before he was executed, <laughs> had 33 <laughs> entries. 23 of those, uh, a fifth of what is all being recognized, have stood the test of time. Some items like gold, iron, and sulfur have been known since ancient times. Other ones like manganese, molybdenum, and tungsten were recent discoveries. And he was trying to infer the structure from that. Creating that album and fill it with understanding, is, it took half a century to kind of fill out the whole periodic table. And the rows and columns, you know, indicate how many, you know, how many electrons are in the outer shell because that tells something about reactivity. It turns out then in 1794, Lavoisier was branded a traitor because— of his involvement with taxation. He was also unpopular with revolutionaries because he supported foreign scientists whom the revolutionaries wished to strip of all their assets. Antoine Lavoisier died by the guillotine at age 50, oh. May 8, 1794 in Paris, even though he had been the inventor of the periodic table. What a table. way to go. I know. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalkatstratford.edu. And check out the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out the programs and tell them that you heard about all those programs on Tech Talk Radio. If you tuned in later, would like to hear this program again in its entirety, we will rebroadcast Tech Talk Radio at noon today. This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. 
WFED Washington, WTOP FM HD2 Washington, WTOP FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Federal News Radio is now Federal News Network. We're the news organization of record for the federal community. We talk to federal managers, contractors, and policymakers about the federal workforce, pay, benefits, and retirement issues, federal management and acquisition, the Defense Department, and federal IT. Listen to your turn with Mike Causey on DOD with Jared Serbu and Ask the CIO with Jason Miller. Federal News Network is nonpartisan and nonpolitical, and our job is to help you, the federal government and contracting executive, make better decisions. Nights and weekends, we air Washington Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards, George Washington Colonials, and the Navy Midshipmen on the Washington, D.C. home of Navy Athletics. Tell Alexa to play Federal News Network. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Find us on Podcast One. Like us on Facebook. Our mission is helping you meet your mission. Federal News Network. Coming up today on Federal News Radio, we have got uh, Navy Sports Magazine at 11.15, college basketball, Navy at BU at uh, 11.45, and then we've got GW taking on Bonaventure on the road at 3.45. The weather today, mostly cloudy, patchy drizzle this morning, highs in the mid-40s, mostly cloudy lows tonight in the low 30s, a rain-snow mix tomorrow, about an inch of accumulation, highs mid-30s. 33 at Friendship Heights, it's 10 o'clock.